Welcome, if it is your first time here, and I know it is for a lot of you, which is exciting when, when it's your first time visiting a church. Anyway, we are wrapping up this series that we've been calling Prison Letters. And so let me kind of walk you through what we've been doing to catch up to speed. We've been leaning into this wisdom of a guy named Paul, this prominent figure in the New Testament. Paul was famous um, for being a, a Jewish leader who hated Christians, hated them so much. He set out to end the movement almost before it even started, and he would throw Christians in jail. He would have them persecuted. He would have them stoned. He would have them killed. Well, one day, Paul runs into the resurrected Jesus Christ, and his life was changed. In that moment, he gave his life to the Lord. He became a Christian. He would spend the last 30 years of his life traveling around the Mediterranean Rim, planting all of these little churches, and he would actually go on to write over half of the New Testament. Well, one day Paul gets thrown into jail for preaching the gospel. And while he's in jail, he famously starts writing all of these letters that we have been looking at. And each week, we've been kind of diving into a unique piece of wisdom that Paul felt burdened to share while his life was really hanging in the balance in prison, not knowing if he was going to live or die. So today, Paul is going to talk to us about an activity, shall we say, that I think most of us are engaged with this at some level, um, d- depending kind of how you were raised, and I don't know what kind of home you grew up, but like, depending on how you were raised, there's a chance you might have started like dabbling in this particular activity in high school, um, and some of you, wouldn't shock me, if some of you started doing this thing all the way back in middle school, all right? And and today I just want to hear what God has to say about this particular activity and how he views it and how we should kind of be doing it and doing it properly. And so obviously today we're going to be talking about work. Um, And so work is a very interesting word. Um, You know, often we kind of like to point to sort of the Greek words in the Bible to find out what the original authors were really saying. And so when you look at this word work, it it is a noun at times, very interesting. Uh, Also, it is a verb. And many times work is also just a nightmare, okay? It's just sometimes you just hate your job, okay? Like you hate your boss, you hate your commute, you hate your coworkers. This is not this is not what you expected of your life. And then when Sunday rolls around and you start getting those Sunday scaries, like you can't believe that you've got to do this all over again. Ugh. Many of us look at our jobs as simply a means to an end. We're just working for the weekend, right? The, like the, the only reason we can tolerate that meeting, which should have been an email, is the fact that, you know, you're all going to happy hour afterwards. It's almost like if I can make the rest of my life good, then I can tolerate work, which is a shame because work takes up so much of our life. Now, in America, I can't really speak for the rest of the world, but in America, we have sort of been taught to believe that the goal of work is retirement, all right? It's this idea that everything we do from our very first summer job, which by the way, I was thinking about our first summer jobs, and I'd love to hear what everybody did for their first summer job. I was kind of polling um, the staff, one girl who I was shocked, she was like, oh, I used to bale hay as a child and mill flour. Really? That's what they do in Indiana, I guess. I'm not really. So, but for me, my first summer job, I was like 11 or 12 years old. It's hard to remember, but I think I was like 11 or 12. And I worked at the Monterey Beach miniature golf course 
at the Jersey Shore. I have a picture of it. This is what it, it's since been knocked out, but this is literally where I worked. And that soda machine off to the right, there's a little booth, and that's where I spent all my time. And I was paid $3.25 an hour, which was less than the minimum wage at that time. Now, here's the thing. My shift at this golf course was five hours long, all right? The problem was there was no bathroom. So but one of the perks of working this job is that on every shift, you were given one free can of soda. And when I asked my boss, Mr. Donovan, who is still alive, I said, well, where do I, where do I go to the bathroom? He replied, that's what the can is for. <laughs> and he, yeah, and the booth had windows, folks. Anyway, back to retirement. So it's this idea that every single thing we do from, you know, bailing hay and, you know, going to the bathroom in cans to your current position, whatever that is, it is all preparation for when we don't have to work anymore. What are the byproducts, I think, of being so focused on retirement? Either as a goal or as an expectation of you is that it sends a signal to your brain that work is bad. Right? Work is bad, but one day you'll be done with work. You'll be done with emails, no more coworkers, no more bad managers. So, you know, stiff upper lip, shoulder to the wheel, you'll get through this, old chap. Now, to combat this kind of work, however you want to describe it, malaise, whatever, people have come up with sort of homespun advice to kind of help us sort of see work. And one of the things you've heard, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but people will say, well, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Thank you very much. <laughs> like, it's like telling somebody who's worrying, don't worry. Thank you. Very, very helpful. Unfortunately, based on my studies, no one's paying you to watch Netflix and Suntan, okay? It's just not out there. So this is not a reality for like 99% of the people out there. I also heard someone say something that I actually like. I thought it was pretty good. It was this lady that I listened to on the radio. She's up in New Jersey. But she said this. This is great. They, your employers, pay to do the parts of your job that you hate. That's actually pretty good. Because most of us do kind of like our jobs, right? There, there, there are parts of our jobs that we would say, I would do this for free. I, I, I enjoy doing this part of my job. But there are those certain tasks that it's like, you know, you procrastinate doing it. You put it off as long as you can. It's like at the end of the month or what, because it's just those particular tasks are brutal. And in those moments, she says, we can shift our minds and say, okay, this is what they're paying me to do. I just thought that was pretty good. Now, let me add one more little piece of the puzzle before we kind of get into what we're talking about. Within Judaism and within Christianity, there is this idea or concept, or even theology, depending on how you want to spin this, where people believe that work is actually a curse from God. That when Adam and Eve first sinned and sin entered the world, we had to start working as a result of their sin. But what's so interesting is that when you go back and actually read the Bible, the opposite is true. In the beginning, God created us to work. Let me show you. Genesis 2.15, all the way back in the beginning. The Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This is before the fall of man. Work is not a result of sin. Work is clearly a part of God's original design for you 
and for me. Work is what we were created to do. And so if that's true, why does work feel like work, right? Just uh, work. Studies show that the average worker feels uninspired, unappreciated or underappreciated, and insignificant. Is that you? Do you feel this way some days? Yep. Do you feel this way most days? I mean, has there come a point in your life, and maybe it's every morning in the shower, where you're just like, something's got to change. Something's got to change. Well, Paul agrees with you. Something does have to change. And 2,000 years ago, from a jail cell, Paul gives us the secret to actually finding meaning in the work that we're doing. Take a look at what he wrote. He says this, whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. Now notice that he says, whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. He doesn't say once you get that promotion, do it with all your heart, because that's how we think. He doesn't say once you land that dream job, do it with all your heart, because that's how we think. He says, whatever work it is that you do, I want you to do it with all your heart. Whatever job, we all have jobs that we're currently in, whatever that is, do it with all your heart. To which many of us would go, really, Paul? I mean, do you know what I do? It's just like, this is a temp job. I'm just, I'm filling a gap. I mean, I never really wanted this job. This is, you know, I lost my, I had a dream job, lost it. It's not even an option anymore. Paul, my manager, who, by the way, makes more money than I do, he or she doesn't even do their job with all their heart. Why would I want to do my job with all my heart? And then he gives us the game changer to the whole thing. He says, do for the Lord and not for man. In other words, he would say, when you show up tomorrow morning on a Monday to go work at your job at Publix or the construction site or at the boatyard or at the law office or in the hospital or as a stay-at-home parent, Paul's like, I want you to show up tomorrow as though you are going to go work for the Lord himself. As though God is your shift manager. As though God is your boss. As though God is the senior partner. As though God is the foreman. This idea of working for the Lord is, honestly, it's kind of foreign to us. And so it's hard to imagine what it even looks like practically. Because all we really know is what it looks like to work for man. And working for man, well, it looks like doing the bare minimum. Right? It's, I, I'm going to do exactly what they pay me to do and no more. If it falls outside my, you know, my duties, I'm not doing it. You pay me to work from nine until five, and if you ask me to do something that takes me to like, I don't know, 520, not happening. Working for the Lord, or sorry, working for man, also looks like, you know, taking office supplies, whatever, you know, a couple of cake cups, you know, some toilet paper, pen, whatever you're stealing. Everybody's stealing something, right? That's, that's come on, right? I'm taking seltzers on Sunday. Anyway, I'll take it. Okay. Or working for man looks like arriving late or leaving early. I get it. Sometimes there's unexpected traffic, but come on. It's South Florida. You know how long it's going to take. All right. It's just, and sometimes you leave early. I get it because it's a light week at work and you just kind of, you know, you, you dip out early on a Friday. But if it becomes a pattern, 
where you consistently show up late. You consistently leave early. You consistently take these long lunches. The uncomfortable truth is you are stealing. You're, you're not working the hours that that company has paid you to be there on the premises. So maybe part of the reason we have this lack of joy in our jobs is that we are working for man. So Paul steps in and goes, all right, let's hit the reset. Let's just completely change the way that we think about what it means to work. And from now on, I want you to work for the Lord. Which means I want you to see the way that you work as an act of worship. It's kind of like, you know how you, you wake up on a Sunday? And you guys are all here, so this is a good example. You wake up on a Sunday, and there's a bunch of stuff you could do, right? You could go on your boat. You could go to the beach. You could go to brunch. But as an act of worship to God, you chose to go to church. Or you know how you, you, you know, you're a volunteer here maybe. You, as a greeter, you work with kids, or maybe you donate money as an act of worship to God. Paul is saying, now I want you to view what you do from Monday to Friday, nine to five, as an act of worship to God. That no matter what job you have, I want you to shift your perspective from this pays the bills to I am serving the Lord. Now, this is a lofty challenge, okay? This is one of these things where we're, we're tempted to look at it and give it the old Christian moan of affirmation. Mmm, that's good, yeah, right? We nod, we say amen, we take a picture of the slide, and then we do nothing with it. <laughs> because, like, what does this even look like? I mean, let's be honest. With you. Working for the Lord sounds great. You put it on a crocheted pillow, and you see it in your grandmother's house, and it looks wonderful. But practically... What does it look like to work for the Lord? And so with our remaining time, I want to show you what it looks like to work for the Lord. I want to show you what the impact it can have on your life and on the lives of the people around you. So the first thing that we want to do in shifting our mindset from working for man to working for the Lord is that we want to begin to connect work to service. This is important. Because normally when we think about work, your job, whatever it is, we think about the task at hand that puts the paycheck in the pocket. We're connecting work to money. Interesting, in my research this week, I saw that psychologists, these are not pastors, psychologists will tell you that if you only work for money, you will never be satisfied. Which means, reading between the lines of what they're saying, there must be some greater reason why we do what we do. God whether you know this or not, has given each and every single one of you unique gifts and talents that allow you to perform particular jobs, right? And these gifts and talents bestowed upon you by God weren't given to you just to benefit you, but ultimately so that you could serve others and you could serve the greater good. And by consciously connecting, it's got to be a choice. It's not going to happen naturally. By consciously connecting our work to serving others, it can begin to make our work feel more purposeful. All of a sudden, you're not just a teacher. You're shaping the lives of students who will go on to shape the lives of other people. They'll change the future. Or you're not just an accountant. You are someone who is helping people stay organized in their life so that they can achieve their goals. I stumbled upon a very interesting article that spoke to this concept. It was called 
uh, what you can learn about job satisfaction from a janitor. Very, very interesting. In this article, they point to this massive study that was done where they observed the attitudes of hospital custodians. These are individuals who are cleaning bedpans and cleaning up vomit. This is not a glamorous job at all. And what they found in this massive study is that those hospital custodians who viewed themselves as, quote, being a part of a team who cared for sick people, those individuals went above and beyond to do their job with excellence. And those individuals enjoyed their job far more than their counterparts who just did their job for a paycheck. No matter what job you have, we all serve somebody. And when you can figure out how to connect your work to that person rather than to a paycheck, you might for the very first time feel significant and satisfied. So the question you got to figure out is, who do you serve? And then serve them. Secondly, when you try to work for the Lord, it creates what I'm going to call eternal opportunities. So what do I mean by that? When you embrace the paradigm shift, because it is a paradigm shift, when you embrace the paradigm shift of, I am now going to work for the Lord, you will begin to act and look and work differently than your average coworker. And when others see that you're treating others with kindness, when they see you not engaging in office drama, when they see you showing up not just on time, but early, when they see you staying until the job is done right, even if it means staying late, when they see you going above and beyond that which is asked of you, trust me when I say this, not only will you probably get a promotion, but more importantly, at some point, someone is going to ask you, why are you different? I mean, I watch you work. We have the same job. Presumably, we're being paid the same amount of money, and yet, it's like you're working for a different company. It's, it's like you're having a completely different work experience than I have. So what's up with that? Which gives you a great opportunity to say, you know what, years ago, I heard a sermon from a guy. He's brilliant. He's just a really attractive young man. And, and he said, to, he, and I, was, I made a decision that I was no longer going to work for man. I was going to work for God. And it just completely changed the way that I saw everything. And it completely changed my life. See, one of the consequences of deciding that you're going to work for the Lord is no matter where you work, and we all work different places, no matter where you work, the way you work becomes a way to share the gospel. So many of us work in corporate America where you just legally can't talk about your faith. I mean, it's sad, but that's just the reality of the world that we're in. But when you live out what it means to work for the Lord, your actions speak volumes. Jesus is preached through your very behavior and attitudes, and God is honored. Furthermore, when you bring God into the workplace, as Paul is asking us to do, it will remove unhealthy competition. So often the workplace is all about me, right? My job, my paycheck, my promotion. I got to get my piece of the pie. And often it is at the expense of pushing others out of the way. Your coworkers are seen as obstacles to you. Your coworkers are seen as targets to beat, particularly if you guys are in sales. That's working for man. But when you work for the Lord, it's like the scales fall off from your eyes. 
all of a sudden you realize you're actually working with people who have families, who have lives. And all of a sudden work is no longer about beating others. Work has now become an opportunity to help others. I mean, imagine seeing your coworkers as teammates rather than rivals. I mean, we use the word teammate, but imagine actually seeing them as teammates working together. Imagine building one another up in the workplace rather than tearing each other down. I was writing this this week and I began thinking about, let's call it the classic stereotypical coworker. Let's kind of pause for a second and let's talk about that. Because the reality is that coworkers can be annoying, okay? You're working in close proximity, tensions are high, a lot of different personalities, and sometimes you have to work with people who just straight up annoy you. You do not work in the Garden of Eden. You work in a cubicle next to Nancy, and Nancy drives you nuts. That's just the reality of life. But remember, you've now made a conscious decision that you're going to work for the Lord. So Paul gives us a little advice as to how to handle Nancy. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must That means it's a command. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And here comes the practical from Paul. How to deal with your coworkers. Make allowances for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who has offended you. Meaning, he's talking to Christians here. You got to realize that we all have faults. We're all coming into this office with baggage. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. And as Christians, we got to pull it together and we just got to give people some slack for their faults. We do. And then we got to move on. We got to forgive them and we got to move on. Lastly, and I'll wrap this up. When you work for the Lord, it shifts our source of validation. So, One of the reasons I think we struggle with work so much is that we ask work to do something that it was never intended to do, meaning to be our source of validation, to be the source of our self-worth, to be our identity. We talked a lot about that last week. And many times, the truth is, we work for bosses who are not encouraging. These people, they, they don't recognize you for the work that you've put into something. And it And it can leave you feeling defeated. It can leave you feeling very discouraged. Quite honestly, it it does not inspire you to work with all your heart. So Paul says, remember, remember that you will, that's a promise, you will get your reward from the Lord. He will give you what you should receive. You are working for the Lord Christ. Paul says, when you work for humans, you got to remember, you will get very human responses. But don't forget, you're actually working for God. He is watching you work. And when you make the decision to work according to his will, he will take care of you. He will make sure you get the proper rewards that you should be receiving, whether it is a blessing in this life or in the life to come. And I just feel like with that knowledge, you can have peace at work. I think it enables you to be more confident, more joyful, and more able to Give of yourself in a healthy way to the work set before us. So, what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? 
If it is your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen. We just want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. And so today I want to give you two challenges based on what Paul has told us about work. And the first one is this. What would it look like to work for the Lord tomorrow? Not forever. It's way too big of a commitment. Not even for a year or a month or a week. I'm just saying tomorrow. What would it look like for you to wake up tomorrow morning, Monday, and decide that just for the day, I am going to work for the Lord? What would you have to change? Think about that. I mean, if you were going to work differently tomorrow, you're not working for your boss, you are working for Jesus Christ, what would you have to change? What wouldn't you do? What did you do on Friday that you no longer would do tomorrow because tomorrow you are working for the Lord? What wouldn't you say? What time would you get there? What time would you leave? What would it look like for you personally in whatever kind of work you're doing, whether you like it or not, what would it look like to work as if God was actually watching you and waiting to be worshiped through your work and through your work attitude? Now this next one, before we throw it on the screen, I don't know who this next one is for. I, I mean, it's just, it, I just felt it this week, like a conviction about it. And I was like, I'm going to just put it up there because I want to follow a conviction. I don't know if this is for one of you here. I don't know if it's for somebody watching online. I don't know if it's for somebody who's listening in the future, but I just, I'm throwing it out there because here it is. Can you, whoever you might be, can you do your work as unto the Lord with a clear conscience? Maybe, and I don't know who you are, maybe you got yourself into a career or an industry where there are activities going on or procedures in place that just fight against your spirit. And like you know that you know that you know that these things, whatever these things are, they're not God-honoring. And because of that, it has almost forced you to compartmentalize your life. It's, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I go to church, and I sing the songs, and I give, and I volunteer, and I pray. But, you know, this pays the bills, right? That's okay? I don't know. You tell me. I mean, if something is off, something is probably off. And if you are someone, and I don't know who you are, but if you are someone who has felt a conviction about what your job is asking you to do, maybe, just maybe, it's time to make a change. Because God is not just interested in your marriage. He is not just interested in your dating life. He's not just interested in how you raise kids. And he's not just interested in your time in heaven. God is interested in what you do and how you do it. Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we've had an opportunity over the last few weeks to just dive into these letters that your servant Paul wrote from a jail cell. And God, it's just always so fascinating to me to think about what we might want others to know if we didn't think we were going to make it. And it tells me, Lord, that even in a subject like today, our work, this is just so vitally important that we begin thinking this way.
Because God, you created us to work. And so often work feels like work. And I pray, God, that through Paul's wisdom, we can begin to shift the way that we see how we do the things that we do and why we do the things that we do. And I pray that work can become a blessing, that work can become an opportunity to serve others and make a difference in this world. No matter how insignificant we think our job actually is, we have been given an opportunity by you to serve you in the workplace. And Lord, I do know, just simply because of the times that we're in, that there are people here today watching online, listening in the future, who do not have work and who desperately need it and have been crying out to you for it, Lord. And I just pray that in this moment, you would provide, that you would give them an opportunity to work as unto the Lord. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name.